cardiac tamponade. In cardiac tamponade, fluid within the pericardial sac compresses the heart, impairing ventricular filling and cardiac output. The classification could be non-traumatic and traumatic. The causes of acute non-traumatic cardiac tamponade include acute myocardial infarction with free wall rupture, Stanford type A, thoracic aortic dissection, coagulation disorders. Right? Causes of acute non-traumatic cardiac tamponade, acute MI with free wall rupture, Stanford type A dissection, coagulation disorders. Causes of gradual onset non-traumatic cardiac tamponade is any of the recognized conditions for pericarditis. And causes of traumatic cardiac tamponade, these can be penetrating or blunt. In both cases, the onset will be acute or delayed. Pathophysiology, basically there's an accumulation of fluid. It could be a transudate, exudate, blood or chylus within the pericardial cavity. And this is term of pericardial infusion. Normally, this cavity contains up to about 35 mL of fluid. More than this can be accumulated in the short term, which is about 200 mL. However, the pericardium stretches to accommodate this excess fluid, but when fluid accumulates to the point where the intrapericardial pressure exceeds the normal filling pressures of the right heart, ventricular filling is impaired. There is decreased cardiac output, which results in cardiac tamponade. How do you diagnose cardiac tamponade? Is diagnosed by a combination of clinical features, ECG, and ultrasound findings. The clinical features include tachycardia and tachypnea, Beck's triad, which is a triad comprising of hypotension, muffled, or diminished heart sounds, and elevated JVP. The hypotension um, is usually a late finding. Initially, um, compensatory mechanisms may cause the person to be hypertensive. In terms of muffled or diminished heart sounds, it's very insensitive um, and it may be seen in obesity or COPD and is a subjective sign. Elevated JVP in cases of coexisting diminished intravascular volume, the JVP may not be elevated even in the presence of a significant tamponade. So just, just uh, um, to be cautious that um, Beck's triad, even though it's the, the whole clinical triad of, of this in cardiac tamponade, it's not very sensitive. Then there's pulsus paradoxus. This sign is difficult to appreciate in hypotensive patients. It's more readily appreciated on invasive arterial pressure monitoring. And there may be a degree of peripheral cyanosis, typically of the head, neck, chest, upper limbs. Other, other associated findings include relatively clear chest, chest fields, pleural effusions, and signs of causative pathology. So if you're thinking like the patient has fever, um, pericarditis, per, um, pericardial friction rub. And then there's the echocardiogram, echocardiogram findings. And then the ECG findings. The typical ECG findings will include low voltage QRS complexes and diffuse signs of pericarditis, diffuse ST elevation, PR depression due to the pericardial inflammation, electrical alternance where there's B2B variation in the amplitude of the R waves. Treatment of um, cardiac tamponade um, causing hemodynamic instability is emergent pericardial synthesis. Now, question. Where should the needle be placed for an emergent pericardial synthesis in the subcyphoid area? Right. How do you differentiate uh, cardiac tamponade 
from attention pneumothorax. Remember, attention pneumothorax will also have hypotension, jugular venous distension, and absent breath sounds. So the distinguishing feature of tension pneumothorax from a cardiac tamponade is the absent breath sounds. The distinguishing feature of cardiac tamponade from 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 a tension pneumothorax is the absent breath sounds. Right. Um, differential diagnosis for cardiac tamponade could be a massive pulmonary embolism, tension pneumothorax, superior vena cava obstruction, chronic constrictive pericarditis, A embolism, um, right ventricular infarct, severe congestive cardiac failure, cardiogenic shock, extrapericardial compression, example due to hematoma or tumor. Investigations, chest x-ray, your radiological investigation is basically what we're talking about here. So your chest x-ray, ECG, um, echo, transthoracic or transesophageal, then you have a CT and MRI. So your chest x-ray, the cardiac silhouette may be normal in cases of acute tamponade. So at least 250 mils of intrapericardial fluid is needed before an increase in cardiac silhouette can be appreciated. At least 250 mils of intrapericardial fluid is needed before an increase in cardiac silhouette can be appreciated. In subacute or chronic cases, cardiomegalin is seen. Classically, cardiac silhouette is described as globular or water bottle in shape. This, however, is very non-specific and very subjective finding and is consequently of little practice. The best clinical indicators of possible pericardial infusion from a chest x-ray include cardiomegaly when there is relatively acute crease in size, cardiomegaly when there is relatively acute increase in size, the, the larger the silhouette the greater the index of suspicion should be. The presence of clear lung fields is also suggestive of pericardial effusion. A chest x-ray will also help rule out other diagnoses and may give clues to the causative pathology, example lung malignancy. ECG findings, um, as stated before, you have the low voltage QRS complexes, electrical alternance. Um, electrical alternance reflects a large effusion, maybe more specifically associated with tamponade. Then there's sinus tachycardia, non specific ST changes, changes of pericarditis. And the trans Jurassic echo. Is the most sensitive method of um, detecting pericardial fluid. Um, it is non-invasive and it can be done at the bedside. Um, can also assess cardiac function and degree of compromise. And it also detects cardiac tamponade before clinical signs become apparent. So the echo findings of cardiac tamponade include pericardial fusion, systolic right atrial collapse, which is an early sign Alone, this usually does not denote relevant tamponade, and this is best seen in the apical and subxiphoid view. Then there's the dilated inferior vena cava and hepatic veins. The dilated inferior, the inferior vena cava is described as plethoric, um, and this is due to an in increase in intrapericardial pressure, causes compression of the right atrium and a hindrance of venous retin. Then another finding is right ventricular diastolic collapse. It's difficult to assess in swinging heart 
due to out-of-plane motion of the right ventricle, but if present, is usually associated with symptoms. Left ventricle collapse usually denotes severe tamponade and emergent pericardial synthesis is needed. A swinging heart phenomenon usually associated with some degree of hemodynamic relevance to the infusion. Septal shift towards the left ventricle during inspiration. Respiratory changes in color Doppler, mitral valve inflow. <clears throat> More than 30% are indicative of hemodynamic um, significance. Um, apply with caution in atrial fibrillation. Exaggerated respiratory changes in tri tricuspid valve inflow. And Doppler flow reversal in the hepatic veins. So there, there are a lot of findings, echo findings in Tamilan, of which include pericardial fusion, systolic right atrial collapse, dilated or plethoric inferior vena cover, and hepatic veins, right ventricular diastolic collapse, left ventricular collapse, swinging heart phenomena, septal shift of the left ventricle during inspiration, and respiratory changes in in um, Doppler mitral valve inflow and tricuspid. With regards to the transesophageal echo, if the transthoracic is inconclusive, you could do a uh, transesophageal echo, and this can also detect occult loculated effusions. It, it can also help rule out other differential diagnoses such as a large PE and it can look for other causative pathologies such as proximal aortic dissections and myocardial wall rupture. In terms of a CT scan as your imaging modality, it detects fluid readily but is less reliable than an echo in determining tamponade. Can be useful imaging modality when echo is not readily available and cardiac tamponade is suspected. Pericardial fluid is readily detected but tamponade cannot be reliably detected. It also has the added advantage of imaging the chest for possible causative pathologies such as um, malignant masses. And if you're suspecting like a dissection with complicated pericardial bleeding, CT angiogram will be the imaging modality of choice. MRI also will readily detect fluid but not tamponade. So hemodynamic monitoring for these patients the classic finding is elevation of pressures to around 25 millimeters mercury and equalization of right atrial, right ventricle, and diastolic, pulmonary artery, diastolic, and pulmonary artery wedge pressures. Preterminally, however, right-sided pressures may be greatly elevated, whilst left-sided pressures become greatly depressed. How do you manage patients with cardiac tamponade? So, needle pericardiosynthesis is the best reserved as a procedure of last resort in the setting of the ED. The preferred methods are ultrasound-guided drainage performed in a cardiac catheter lab or more ideally sub-xiphoid pericardiotomy in the operating theatre if clinical situation allows for this. Therapeutic modalities for patients with cardiac tamponade 1. Fluid therapy This is only a temporizing measure though, ionotropic support also another temporizing measure, intubation and ventilation. So although these, although intubation and ventilation may be unavoidable in the critically ill or arrested patient, institution of mechanical ventilation may cause a sudden drop in blood pressure as a positive intrathoracic pressure further impairs cardiac filling.
<coughs> drainage procedures. So you can have a sub-xiphoid pericardotomy and a needle pericardial synthesis. Sub-xiphoid pericardotomy is used for purulent or recurrent effusions or when tissue is required for diagnostic purposes. This may be done under local anesthetic in theater. A drainage catheter is placed under direct vision following careful dissection into the pericardial space from the sub-xiphoid region. Needle pericardial synthesis is best done in the cardiac catheter laboratory under fluoroscopic guidance. In more urgent situations, it may be done under ultrasound guidance in the ED. Blind needle pericardial synthesis is best considered as a method of last resort in arrest or perior situations when ultrasound is not available. So, a central line, needle or similar, is inserted parazyphostinally between the xiphoid process and the left costal margin at the angle of 15 degrees and aimed towards the left shoulder. The needle is then advanced slowly with regular aspirations. The patient should be on cardiac monitoring whilst the procedure is done. Um, once fluid has been successfully drained, a cell linger wire may be introduced into the pericardial space followed, followed by a central line or pigtail catheter. This can be remain in situ for further aspirations if necessary. Another, another treatment modality is thoracotomy. Ra rather than attempting ne needle drainage, um, definitive surgical repair of the causative pathology may be necessary, such as myocardial free wall rupture, proximal aortic dissections, and cases of trauma. And treatment of the underlying conditions. Know that in the life-threatening case of bacterial pericarditis causing a pericardial fusion, antibiotics are critical as a surgical drainage, independent of whether or not the patient has signs of cardiac tamponade. IV hydrocortisone um, for autoimmune-induced pericardial effusions, dialysis for uremic pericarditis causing a pericardial effusion resulting in cardiac tamponade. Right? Note well that CPR is relatively ineffective in cases of arrest due to the cardiac tamponade. Remember, cardiac tamponade is one of the T's causes of reversible arrest. So you need to correct that. <clears throat> right? Regarding pericardial synthesis, equipment you use is the antiseptic local anesthetic, the 18 gauge catheter type needle, syringes, gauze plastic tubing, collection system or basin, ultrasound machine with styrofoam cover and drapes, Yanka suction, suction tubing, cardiac monitoring. Um, you could also have your 18 gauge spinal needle if you're going for the xiphysinal blind approach, alligator clips, bedside ETG, nasogastric tube, um, scalpel, blade, and pigtail catheter, three-way stopcock. So your step-by-step -step technique is um, you position the patient that needs in, sterile preparation and inject local anesthetic, identify the point of maximal effusion with ultrasound, pericardial effusions are dark or anechoic areas surrounding the heart, usually the pericardium can be seen overlying the effusion, in addition paradoxical motion of the right ventricular wall with collapse during diastole is noted in states of tamponade. Choose needle trajectory. For most patients, the optimal approach is the left chest wall. Most common is the left parasternal approach or, or the apical approach. Both are the fifth intercostal space or the subzypoid approach. 
If using the left power sternal approach, select a site approximately 3 to 5 centimeters from the sternal edge to avoid the left internal mammary artery. Um, direct the needle over the superior margin of the rib to avoid injuring the neurovascular bundle on the inferior margin of each rib. And you, you set up your ultrasound using the cardiac probe, place a sterile cover over the probe after using ultrasound gel and place sterile ultrasound gel over the plant site of entry. Under direct ultrasound guidance, insert needle at the predetermined site at an approximately 45 degree angle to the skin at the transducer. Visualize the needle tenting the pericardium. Upon entry into the pericardial sac, a return of blood, serous fluid or pus should be obtained. Clotted blood may prevent aspiration. Blood can clot within the needle or may have clotted within the pericardial space. Often clotted blood within the pericardial space can be identified on ultrasound as echogenic material. If you suspect needle obstruction, attempt flushing the needle with 1 to 2 mils of normal saline to cleanse the needle. If aspiration is too easy, suspect ventricular rupture. To decrease complications of needle insertion, do not direct the needle within the pericardium while aspiration. This may reduce the number of occurrences of inadvertent coronary artery lacerations or penetrating the pericardium. Fluid collection. Fluid may be collected for diagnostic testing to assess for protein or albumin, cell counts, gram stain, and cultures. Catheter. With regards to catheter removal, once adequate fluid has been withdrawn from the pericardial space and hemodynamic equilibrium has returned, the catheter may be removed. The site should be dressed as with any needle insertion site. In terms of the blind subxiphoid approach, <clears throat> it starts with similar preparation. The point of needle insertion starts either directly below or adjacent to the subxiphoid process. An 18-gauge needle is inserted at a 45-degree angle to the patient's skin, and the needle tip is directed to either the left or the right shoulder. The needle is aimed towards the heart with continuous aspiration of the syringe until return of pericardial fluid. The ECG monitoring technique uses ECG monitoring to detect myocardial injury patterns and localize needle location. The approach is similar to the blind approach in orientation. Attach a V1 monitor lead to the needle. Watch a monitor while introducing the needle. ST elevation on the monitor indicates the needle tip has contacted the myocardium. Withdraw the needle slightly and aspirate. This technique is really used currently due to the complexity of um, in the emergency setting and advances in ultrasound, which allows safe alternatives. A favorable outcome is a restoration of hemodynamic stability with return of normal blood pressure and heart rate. Two-dimensional echo should also show decreased effusion, increased cardiac contractility, increased cardiac output. Complications of pericardiosynthesis. Major complications include Chamber lacerations requiring surgery, intercostal vessel injury requiring surgery, pneumothorax requiring chest replacement, ventricular tachycardia, and bacteremia. Then there are minor complications which include transient chamber entries, small pneumothorax, not requiring intervention, hypotension secondary to vasovagal response, sinus tachycardia, pericardial catheter occlusion, and possible pluripericardial fistulas. Cardiac arrhythmias such as atrial fibrillation, ventricular tachycardia, or asystole may occur when, needle, when the needle penetrates the pericardium.
So, um, just to go back and touch a little bit on the ultrasound findings, the you have a you on the ultrasound you'll see pericardial fusion, right? Um, the rate of the fluid accumulation is more important than the actual effusion size. Be aware of false positives such as pleural effusions, which which will appear posterior to the descending aorta or parasol on the parasolar Lawrence's view or pericardial fat pad echo the echoic stippled appearance structure in the anterior atrioventricular groove that appears to move in concert with the myocardium. Um, the diastolic right ventricular collapse has a very high specificity and sensitivity. Okay.